Well, good morning, Fellowship Greenville. My name is Jim, and I am one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being here to worship Jesus with us today. <clears throat> and if you're in auditorium too, thanks for joining us over there. You guys look absolutely splendiferous, thank you. And if you're watching still online, joining us from home, thank you for uh, tuning in right there. <clears throat> if you are here and you are visiting with us, we are extra special glad to have you. Also, we, we don't think that it's an accident that you are here today. We believe that God is good enough and faithful enough and sovereign enough uh, in, in all these little ways that we'll never know that if you're here today, we don't think it's an accident and we think that God wants to remind you of the grace and truth of Jesus today in some specific way. Also, if you are visiting, we have a welcome center out in the commons and you can go by there and we have a, a beautiful team to help you and serve you with any questions that you might have about life here at Fellowship Greenville. Now, if you are a member or a regular, you might know that we are studying our way slowly but surely through the New Testament book of John. John is the most unique of the four biographies of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And currently we are with Jesus and we're with his disciples in the upper room in just a couple of hours from now, uh, uh, upper room time, he's getting ready to be arrested and then go to the cross. And Jesus' friends in all of this, they, they, they feel that something is up. Jesus just bent down on his hands and knees and like a lowly servant, he washed their feet, which would have blown their minds. And then it was, it was even extra impressive because he just washed Judas's feet and Judas just left to go betray Jesus. And then Jesus starts talking about how he was going to go away. And that really, really upset Peter. It, it actually upset all of the disciples. Peter just has the biggest mouth and the smallest filter, like my friend Johnny Brush. <clears throat> and so all of them <clears throat> up here, they're a little discouraged, disoriented, and troubled. And that's why chapter 14, verse 1, begins with, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because Jesus' disciples were mad sad for about a dozen reasons, and chief among them was that they thought he was going to be the one to bring deliverance to God's people and God's world. And right about the time when he was gonna make himself known as the Messiah, the hero king, this is Passover, man. Right about that time, he's like, peace out. Literally, he says peace out at the, at the end of chapter 14. <clears throat> he's like, I'm gonna be seeing you guys later, right? Last week in Charlie's sermon, he talked about how it's hard to say goodbye to people that you love. It's especially hard when <clears throat> you know that that person loves you back. And that's some of the vibe in the upper room here in John 14 to 16. But strangely, as Jesus is wont to do, <clears throat> he intentionally and deliberately goes, oh, you guys are confused? I'll double down on the confusion. He adds to the perplexity, and here's how. He says, I'm about to leave, and somehow I'm gonna stay with you guys, all right? And at this point, the disciples are like, deep in a cave without a torch, way up a river without a paddle. Well, Jesus, 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 you're leaving, <clears throat> and at the same time, you're staying, that means nothing. That means you're not helping me here, dude. That's oxymoron. That's like, she's pretty ugly, jumbo shrimp, Microsoft works. Doesn't work, Jesus. <clears throat> you can't leave and stay at the same time, Jesus. Simultaneously getting out of here, peace out, and coming to them with peace doesn't work. Or so they thought. The way that Jesus is going to do this <clears throat> is through his going to the cross and his giving the Holy Spirit. And this sounds like, oh yeah, duh, to us, because we live on this side of the cross and resurrection, but for Jesus' followers that night, they were way beyond bewildered. And I want to be sympathetic to their bewilderment because often today, even with our place in history on this side of the cross and resurrection, we still get a little confused about the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, then maybe you know way more than the Bible and me, and, and I would love for you to help straighten me out. But 
we need to think about this today. We need to keep thinking about what, uh, who the Spirit is and what does he do. And we're gonna do that in John chapter 14 because there's still confusion about how to think about the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna do that in John chapter 14. If you wanna go ahead and get there in your Bibles, we'll get there in a few minutes, I promise. John chapter 14. Also, <clears throat> I don't know what form the confusion uh, of, uh, around the Holy Spirit, I don't know what form you may have encountered that. Um, maybe you grew up Baptist or Presbyterian <clears throat> or like really, you know, strong fundamentalist, and your trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and proudly so. And you arrogantly thought about the old Pentecostals across town, it's like, dude, those people, <laughs> a few loose, a few, like, loose screws, couple fries short of a Happy Meal, all that stuff, <clears throat> them over there, at least we have our Bible theology ducks in a row, but those people are crazy. And you are hesitant to talk about the Spirit as a person because that's what they do, and you know what else they do? They speak in tongues, they like ask for gold dust to fall from the sky, they flop around like a fish on a dock, and they eventually get on TV and ask for money so that your back pain will go away. That's a slippery slope, <clears throat> we can't do that, so we're gonna be a little hesitant as we think about the Spirit. Maybe that's how you grew up, and that's how the confusion around the Holy Spirit was for you. Now the other extreme is that you grew up in a church <clears throat> that emphasized the Spirit over the Son. Sure, Jesus' death and resurrection are literally the central events in all of human history, but Holy Spirit stuff is just more fun. Let's just be honest, it's just more fun. And you grew up and you prayerfully sought after miracles and prophecies and healings, and you witnessed some powerful moves of God. And let's just say that most of all of them were real, let's just say that. But also, your pursuit of those experiences took up so much time and energy that you hardly ever took a deep breath and patiently pressed in on the actual words of the Bible that the Spirit has breathed out. And you looked at those Presbyterians across town and you were like, those guys, frozen, chosen Bible thumpers who have never actually experienced a move of God in their life. They need to wake up a little bit, right? That's how you <clears throat> thought about it. And for you, the Spirit was more about chasing the next fleeting feeling than trusting an intimate and abiding presence. And there are people here, <clears throat> and you grew up all along this continuum. Uh, for me, <clears throat> I'll never forget August 1999, going off to college, and somehow it was the most fun ever. I found myself in a black gospel band with Stephen Furtick, which is, it was so much fun, especially, it's very funny because I'm, I'm very, very white. And after a while, churches would invite us to come and play and we played at Redemption World Outreach Center, which used to be Relentless Church and other Pentecostal-ish churches all over where people brought their own tambourines and they were yelling and screaming however and whenever they wanted. And they, but they did seem to genuinely feel the things that they were singing about. And even as a pretty giddy one, as a Baptist preacher's kid, I was like, okay, what's that? I didn't know, I didn't know how to categorize what I was witnessing. <clears throat> I'll never forget being in a church in Charlotte as I played in this black gospel band and they invited our band to come play and open and we sang for 30 or 45 minutes and then after we sang, before the sermon, the church's house band got up and played 45 more minutes and, wait, 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 <clears throat> not kidding, 12 of those minutes were Lord I lift your name on high. That's a true story, okay? <clears throat> that's the over 30 people get that Christian joke. That's, that's it was unbelievable. Now, the funny thing was that as I was playing in this band, I was starting to take more and more like Bible and theology classes and deepen my understanding of scripture. And I was <clears throat> learning to take, I was taking Greek and learning to really slowly and patiently soak in God's word. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but these two contexts were breathing life 
into each other. They, <clears throat> they weren't separate, right? One put a very high price tag on experiencing what God is doing, and the other put a very high price tag on explaining what God was doing. And I slowly realized that these two shouldn't necessarily be <clears throat> at odds. Now follow me here. <clears throat> if you grew up and your subtextual, subliminal trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and you rolled your eyes at the crazy spirit people, and you finally do eventually come around to see the beauty of encountering the spirit at work, or you grew up happy, clappy, charismatic, and you hotly pursued like higher plateaus of life in the spirit, and you finally eventually come around to see the necessity of engaging with the spirit in scripture. Even if you take those healthy steps, and I highly encourage you to, Neither of those totally clear the air. Neither of those steps relieve all the confusion. So what I'm saying is, <clears throat> yes and amen, we need to take those steps, we need to hold these intentions, and that alone is tough enough, but that's only the starting point for understanding how the Holy Spirit is at work. There's, there's still a fog. There's still supposed subjectivity. <clears throat> like, I, I like the Jesus story. It is Feet on the ground, history, read it in a book. But the spirit can feel vague or abstract or elusive or fuzzy or, or mysterious. Just think about it, here's some questions. How do I know what the spirit is saying in a certain passage of scripture? How do I know that the person who just came up to me and said, hey dude, I have a word from God for you. How do I know they're not trying to manipulate me? How do I figure out my spiritual gifts and use them? How do I know what verses to send my friend who is grieving going through a loss? How do I know it's the Spirit speaking to me in prayer and it's not just, I shouldn't have gone to Waffle House late last night or, or bad sleep or, or whatever it is. <clears throat> how, do I, how do I do it? How do I feel his presence in practical ways? Is he like active in my heart or do I have to activate him somehow? And if it's one of those yes things, then, then how do, still, how do you do it? And how can I better call to mind the truth of the Spirit-breathed Scripture so I fight temptation like Jesus in Matthew 4? How can I do that? What, what if I am just talking about the Spirit experientially so that people will think I'm spiritual? What if I'm just talking about the Bible as the Spirit-breathed Word so that people will think I'm spiritual? How do I know if it's the Spirit's true and deep comfort or just psychological ease because stress is minimal right now in life. How, how do I do all these things? How do I sense his peace? How do I extend his peace? How do I know it's the spirit stirring in me and not just a really well-written song performed with flawless execution? And, and if the Holy Spirit is the way that our relationship with God <clears throat> is personal, then why? Why does it still feel distant sometimes? I'm talking about we're, we're just scratching the surface with these questions. What we have to see is that Jesus' disciples were puzzled about the Holy Spirit in the upper room that night. And you would think that after a couple thousand years, we would have it all nailed down, right? But as his disciples would soon learn, and as we need to be constantly reminded of, that's part of the point of Jesus giving us the Spirit. It's an invitation to constant dependence. That's what it is. <clears throat> it's an invitation like that. Listen, just like your marriage isn't about you finally figuring the other person out totally all the way and then you go and do your own thing, in the same way Jesus giving us the Spirit is not about us figuring him out all the way and then putting him away in a shelf in the back of our mind somewhere. It's about growing in an awareness of who he is and what he's doing in the world. It's constant dependence, constant reliance on his presence and his power. So, <clears throat> 
Let's take this invitation from Jesus. Let's take all the curiosity and mystery on the spirit. Let's take all the questions that I just asked and all the ones that you didn't. Let's take all of those and put those in a blender and here's how they come out for us today. How can we move from confusion to confidence in our relationship with the Holy Spirit? That's what we need to think about today. How can we move from just being in a fog and confused to having confidence and assurance in the Spirit. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you have to think about stuff like this. John, John wants us to reflect on what the disciples were feeling that night and ask questions like this. Absolutely, there will always be kind of a holy mystery in regards to the Spirit, but that should strengthen rather than negate our need for assurance as we think about his presence in our lives. How can we move from confusion to confidence in our relationship with the Spirit? That is our question for today. <clears throat> and we will find our answer by continuing in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. That's our passage, John 14, 15 through 27. And some of you who are paying, paying keen attention might go, wait a second, wasn't that Charlie's passage from last week? Are you re-preaching his message? Absolutely I am. Uh, because, not because it was so bad, but because it was so good. And Charlie and I have talked and we feel such a need to think thoroughly and patiently about these things because they're often a neglected part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, <clears throat> in our series on John, this is just like a two-week episode, if you will. Now, after I read our passage, I will say the word of God for the people of God, and then comes your line with big happy gratitude. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> and you know what? Let's have some fun. I'm gonna keep you on your toes, literally. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Old school, let's take it old school. <clears throat> Maybe this will make the uh, thanks be to God a little bit louder. I'm counting on you. How can we move from confusion to confidence as we think about the spirit? <clears throat> John 14, 15 through 27, here we go. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me, and I and you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. <clears throat> Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're gonna manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I, uh, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> and I don't know about auditorium too, but it was way louder. That was 11 out of 10. Way to go, guys. <clears throat> now, while I want to use this text, I want to use this passage as home base for us today, we're also gonna go explore a couple little places really quickly in the New Testament to anchor our thinking because our goal is to keep meditating on the Holy Spirit as God's good gift of himself 
to us. And we wanna get to a place of assurance and boldness so that the Spirit is, is, is the holy wind in our sails and the divine breath in our lungs. And <clears throat> so sorry, you know me, to do this, I can't not suggest a couple of book resources on what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be led by the Spirit. So <clears throat> here we go, just four book resources, suggestions here. Number one, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. As you can see, this is specifically about the Apostle Paul's understanding of the Holy Spirit. And I love this one because Gordon Fee <clears throat> grew up super duper fun, Pentecostal, charismatic, and then really moved into a technical, theological, a kind of Bible thumping area. He's a widely respected scholar, and I love that he doesn't hesitate to have those conversations about speaking in tongues and prophecy uh, and all that fun stuff. <clears throat> Second, uh, Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson, and if you are uh, a happy, reluctant Baptist as I am, don't let the word sacrament scare you. Wilson, in this book, does an unreal job talking about how the things of the Spirit should apply to the collective people of God, to the whole church, and in 2019, this is probably top three best books I read all year, and it re-energized my love for the church. Also, it's very impressive how much Wilson crams into only 130 pages. This is the shortest one of my suggestions, if that means something to you. <clears throat> Next, third book, Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit by Francis Chan. Out of the four suggestions, this is probably the most accessible read. He doesn't go into a lot of detail like Gordon Fee, but what I love about Chan's book is that he's very conversational and he gives excellent modern illustrations about what it means to be led by God's Spirit. And lastly, book number four, <clears throat> he Who Gives Life by Graham Cole. Perhaps my favorite work on the Holy Spirit because of how thorough it is. Cole leaves no stone unturned when it comes to like a really robust doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Bible nerd or you feel like you need to polish up on your doctrine of the Holy Spirit and thinking about the Spirit, <clears throat> this one right here might be your move. And again, this is not just to make us know more information I wanna suggest these kinds of things because we need to continue to ask the question, how do we go from like question marks and confusion into clarity, into conviction when it comes to our relationship with the Spirit? And as we respond to that question today, I want to start with the specific language that Jesus uses throughout the upper room discourse. Let's start in 1416, John 1416. Look, <clears throat> Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit. Now, Charlie did a great job on this last week, so some of this is reviewed. The word helper in Greek is the word parakletos. It's only used five times in the entire Bible. All of them are by John. There's all the references right there on the screen. Four in his gospel, one in his first letter. And this thing gets translated so many different ways. Very broadly, it can mean one who comes alongside, um, but it can also specifically get translated uh, as helper, Sometimes it's translated as comforter or counselor. Some translations even go and they do intercessor. Some of them do supporter. And another one that we see a lot is advocate. <laughs> and it's, it's strange because the verb, the verb of parakletos <laughs> is translated comfort in 2 Corinthians because the context demands it. But watch this. When you get to Romans 12, Paul says, I urge you. Urge and comfort don't even feel like the same. I urge you, brothers, or the old King Jimmy, I beseech thee, which is really fun. Like, how do these words, how are they the same thing? But there's also, <clears throat> watch this, there's also this courtroom, legal, forensic background to this word parakletos. In a legal setting, parakletos was somebody who was called to one's aid in a court of justice. 
And in my five volume, 4,000 page Greek dictionary, the first thing it says under this term is, its precise sense is disputed. Thanks a lot, thanks a whole lot, buddy, right? So my point is, even the simple language about the spirit can feel confusing. And because of this, my Greek professor in seminary said, you can't translate the word, you can only transliterate it, which is write English letters of what the Greek letters are. So that means you translate it, the paraclete. Not parakeet, the, <coughs> the paraclete. So yes, he does all of these things, but he is a who and not an it, not an action. We're primarily supposed to think about the spirit as God himself and not first and foremost a verb-related idea. And to add to Charlie's thoughts on the Trinity from last week, it has always helped me to say that the, Holy, or that the Trinity is three who's and one what. That helps me, three who's and one what. Three persons and one essence. Also, just for fun, I was teaching in Pennsylvania two weeks ago and a girl up there asked me how to talk to her Muslim friend um, who keeps saying, you Christians believe in the Trinity and that's just so weird, <clears throat> doesn't make any sense. One plus one plus one can't equal one, you guys are crazy. And I told her to very kindly reply with a, a sheepish and humble smirk, just say, but one times one times one equals one. And then just watch their Islamic deer in the headlights just for a second, it will be really nice and fun. <clears throat> now, here's the deal. That's cute, <clears throat> that's whatever, that might help a little bit or just let your brain think, but it doesn't, it doesn't resolve and settle the mystery. And, and I think there's still so much beauty and love and faith to be had to continue to think about God as triune and we'll continue to bump up against that in this section of John. But as for the paraclete, let's <clears throat> talk, let, let's review what we talked about last week. Who is the spirit and what does he do? I'll tell you who he is. He's the spirit of truth, he's our teacher, and he is our peace. And yes, <clears throat> these things can move us closer to confidence, but I wanna look at a couple more things that Jesus says about the spirit as the, the, the paraclete, the helper. So let's look, look in verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Well, is this line about the father, <clears throat> the son, or the spirit? Yes, it's about the father because it's about God's fatherly love. He's not gonna leave us as orphans. It's about the son because Jesus is saying it and it's about the spirit because he's talking about the function of the paraclete. Look down in verse 26. Jesus continues on this, this train of thought. <clears throat> the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So part, you gotta get this, part of the teaching ministry of the Spirit is to bring to your mind the truth about Jesus. As a former teacher, so much of teaching is review and putting pieces together and not just new information, right? The Spirit is the same way for the Spirit. So if you are depressed or impatient or worried or addicted or distracted or prideful or judgmental or deceived or abused or angry or anything that's got you down, that's got you feeling pressure of the world, in that specific moment, the Spirit wants to remind you, hey, 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 those things aren't your master. Jesus is, he's the Lord, he's the master. Those things, when you're feeling that, those things don't get final claim on your identity. Jesus does. Those things will not last. Wait, Jesus will last. And we have to take every thought, 2 Corinthians 10, we have to take every thought and every emotion captive and trust the spirit in those moments to bring to mind the truth about Jesus. <clears throat> he's gonna teach you and bring to remembrance all I've said to you. Now look down at 1526, not 1426, skip a chapter. 
15, 26, a couple more things. Jesus says, when the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will, I would underline these words, this is key, he will bear witness about me. All right, he's gonna testify about Jesus. The Spirit's gonna testify about Jesus. And this is, you know what it is? This is more legal law court forensic language. The Spirit in a court of law is the perfect witness. The Spirit in your heart says things like, hey, hey, this is true about Jesus. I solemnly swear it is. This is who Jesus is. He is the Word. He's the God made flesh, and nothing you feel or face is too big for him. The Spirit bears witness to our heart that that is the truth about Jesus. And when you feel those things, that's the Spirit at work in your heart. This is also a good place to say that when when the paraclete is called the, the Spirit of truth, that is not talking about like four plus four is eight. That's not talking about abstract truth. Like it's not a prophecy about who you're gonna marry, what job you're gonna get. It's not that. Because we're reading the gospel of John. Truth in John is about God's promises and God's personality with skin on in Jesus. So truth in John is Jesus. The spirit testifies to that. Now, briefly, <clears throat> look down chapter 16, verse 14 about the spirit Jesus simply says, he will glorify me. So what Jesus is trying to show his friends that night in the upper room and what he is trying to show us today, this morning, what he's trying to show us is that the spirit has one big, massive, supreme, ultimate, huge, broad task. He's got one. Yeah, teach about, bring remembrance, bear witness, testify. All to glorify Jesus. The spirit's got one job because he dwells in us the spirit can come alongside us as our helper to make us see behold adore acknowledge worship confess submit to Jesus more plainly or to use the metaphor of light that John has been using the spirit's job is a floodlight ministry that seeks to shine the brightest possible spotlight on who Jesus is and what he has come to do. The Spirit's job is a floodlight ministry. This, this right here is our rock solid confidence as we think about the Holy Spirit. He's a spotlight for Jesus, and not Jesus as an idea, a good luck charm, a religious leader, but Jesus as our rabbi and our crucified and risen king. Get, get this. We can be as assured of the Spirit's presence and power as we are of Jesus's empty tomb. You can have the same amount of confidence. And these are the things that John has in mind when he records Jesus saying, he will glorify me. And the implications of this are many. But let's just think of a couple. If you primarily think about miracle hunting, strange experiences, and future telling prophecies. If that's the primary way you think about the spirit, you're gonna put him in a box and go, you can only do this. If you primarily think about memory verses and fat theology books and listen to sermon podcasts on repeat, the spirit, he's only allowed to play there, you're gonna put the spirit in a box. 
And I absolutely believe that the Spirit still works in mysterious ways, that he heals, he delivers, he sets free from demonic oppression, he prompts people to speak up in certain ways. And I absolutely believe that the Spirit uses the details, the minutia, the depths of God's word, and even big theology books and, and sermon podcasts, he uses that to stir our hearts and minds in a special way. But, 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 to what end? Like, like why? What's the reason behind all of the reasons? so that Jesus will be seen as awesome and worthy. Jesus said he'll bring to mind everything I've said. He'll bear witness. He will glorify me. Here we go. I need you to rev your engines and I need you to go for it and here's what I mean. You need to be loud and happy and humble and emotional and expressive and spontaneous in your entire life of worship. Do it, do it. But if you do, and it's not to glorify Jesus, then the prophet Amos has some really kind words for you. He says, I despise your religious assemblies. They are a stench to me, says the Lord God. Even though you bring me burnt offerings, I won't accept them. I have no regard of them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but instead let justice roll on like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And on the other end of the spectrum, I need, you to bu- I need you to go for it. I need you to buckle up and do it. Memorize scripture. Seriously, man, get on it. Be a Bible nerd. Have too many theology books on your nightstand that you're never gonna read. Seek to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Do it, do it, do it. But if you do, and it's not to glorify Jesus, then Jesus himself has some words for you. You search the scriptures because you think by them you have eternal life. <clears throat> and they testify to me, and you refuse to come to me to have life. The Spirit's job is to make us like Christ by shining the brightest possible spotlight on the grace and truth that Jesus is and that he offers. And we cannot do this on our own. We have to have the aid of the Spirit. We have to keep this in front of us because this is the biggest thing that moves us from confusion to confidence in our relationship with the Spirit, that the Spirit is out to glorify Jesus. Imagine with me, <laughs> just for a second, like an old radio, if you will, like that has a tuning knob and you could exactly dial in the right station and sometimes it was hard because of the weather, like yesterday you couldn't have picked up your station or like static <clears throat> or competing frequencies or the signal or, or whatever. And this is a helpful picture to me and here's how. Our job is to finally tune in to Christ. He is the word and the truth being spoken and the sound waves that fill the air and are processed by our ears and our brains and our hearts, that's the spirit. Christ is risen and reigning and speaking and the spirit is moving and amplifying and glorifying Jesus, but quite often we're listening to white noise, we're listening to static, some other station, and we are mistaking it as the spirit bearing witness to Christ. We do not need the confusion that comes from other channels, other voices, other messages. We need the clarity that comes from Christ alone. And so, with the foundation of the Spirit's job of pointing to Jesus and our responsibility to tune in, pay attention, and listen to the Spirit, I'm gonna do something really dumb right here. I've got 10 sermon points left. 10 points left you guys are like, make it stop. All right, I got 10 left, 
so that we can further sense the Spirit moving and leading and growing and maturing and using us for Jesus' sake. So I just wanna let you know how this sermon is going. Here it is. How do you have confidence in the Spirit? Here it is, here it is. Jesus, how can you experience the confidence of Jesus being led by the Spirit? Here are 10 suggestions really quick. This is probably dumb and too much. Oh, well, I'm not sorry. Here we go. They're all in the app if you need them. Number one, admit that you need help. You're like, that's not hard. Admit that you need help. Well, listen to this. If he is the helper and you think you can do it on your own, you're gonna exhaust your entire soul trying to put the Holy Spirit out of a job, so I'll help you just stop it. Just stop it. We are desperately needy all the time. You just have to admit it, own it. We're practically made of need. So here's what you need to do. Go to counseling, just do it. Godly counseling, confess your sin. Don't defend yourself, Jim, just stop it. Ask people about your blind spots and and just respond with thank you, that's it. And when you do these kinds of things, when you admit it like that, it's here that the Holy Spirit shows up big time and does some of his finest work in my humble opinion. So number one, admit your need. Number two, bear the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what I suggest doing. Take a card, like the size of a business card, write all of these down. Do not write them on your phone and put these visibly with your own handwriting somewhere that you know you will see them every day, if not every week. And then look at them and pray about them and go, God, which one of these is lacking in my life and heart? And then open your Bible, read the Gospels, and see how Jesus does every single one of them. And think about it. If the Spirit is seeking to glorify Jesus, then you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's the character, the life of Jesus flowing through our lives so that people can see. Bear the fruit of the Spirit, do it. Number three, discover your spiritual gifts. And this one's not fair to do in 48 seconds, but we're doing it. Discover your spiritual gifts. This is not a light switch, this takes time, not a sprint, this is a marathon. And this is a massive step in maturity and confidence in the Spirit. So how do you do it? Well, you start by reading 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Just do that, read it, think about it, take notes, listen to a sermon, find a commentary, read it, and then get around other people you know who are following Jesus and make sure they know what spiritual gifts the Spirit has given them and make sure that they are employing them and just hang around them and let it just wash over you so that you clearly see how the Spirit has wired you. And then just talk about the gifts like normal, like you would a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram. Talk about the spiritual gifts, do it. Discern how the Spirit has wired you and specifically placed you in the body of Christ and not vaguely in this church, Fellowship Greenville, and then live it out. Discover your gifts. Number four, reject fear. When Jesus is talking about giving us the paraclete in 1427, look in 1427, he says, my peace I leave with you, not like the world does, so don't let your hearts be afraid. Fear, fear is the way the world gets things done. Fear is the unholy spirit of the world. It was the engine of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and it never, ever yields the Pax Christus, the peace of Christ. If you are led by fear, you are, logic, you are not led by the spirit. Some of you are so worried and freaked out about possibilities and contingencies that you'd never ever live in reality. And the worst thing is is that you can't even control the things you're worried about. Your life is dominated by fear. And it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete is part of God's, John writes this later, it's part of God's perfect love that wants to cast out all fear. So 
If fear comes knocking and tries to lodge itself up in your heart and in your soul, you go, you don't have no place in here. Reject it immediately and pray, Holy Spirit, give me the peace of Jesus right now. Jesus said, my peace I live with, leave with you. Pray it, do it. Reject fear. Number five, obey even if you don't understand. I have a hunch that my kids don't like this one. Obey even if you don't understand. Where do you get that? Thanks for asking. These disciples in the upper room are being told to obey and they are still in a fog, remember? And sometimes we're right there with them. And so if you know that, the, that God wants you to obey through, through scripture, through experience, through godly counsel, and God is telling you to do this, this very specific thing and you don't wanna do it, do not go find some lame excuse to help you justify your disobedience. Don't do it. Charlie changed my life 12 years ago in a sermon on Psalms during the summer. He said, sometimes David prays, Lord, I understand, therefore I obey. And sometimes David says, Lord, I obey so that I could have understanding. And we hate the second one. We are too entitled sometimes to obey if we can't grasp the precise reasoning of why we should. And it requires more faith than we're comfortable with. But either you're gonna trust him as your comforter or you're not. Obey even when you don't understand. Number six, pray out loud. And I don't mean only out loud. Uh, This one might sound a little weird, but just give it a shot. Jesus was perfectly yielded to the Spirit. And after he finishes this talk, right, the next thing he does, guess what he does in John 17? He prays out loud. So do it. Just in the shower, on the road, at a stoplight, in the mornings, on a walk. Don't, this is what I think we do sometimes. We just... Tell the Spirit he, in, in prayer, he can just stay in our thoughts. And I don't know about your thoughts, but I, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, right? In my thoughts, so give it a shot, pray out loud. And this is one of the most convicting things ever. One of the most clear things in the entire New Testament about the Spirit at work and moving in people's lives is guess what? People saying things out loud, actually out loud with words, with human words to other people. That's one of the main evidences in the New Testament of the Spirit at work. So just practice a little bit by praying out loud. Number seven, and... This one's very convicting. Turn down the volume of your life. If the Spirit of God is the voice of God, maybe your life is too loud to hear it. This This is the tuning knob. Maybe you can't hear the Spirit speaking in Scripture, in creation, through others, in His, in his Word, in corporate worship. And you can't hear the Spirit because you're never not in the same room as your phone. Think about it. When was the last time you just went two consecutive hours without looking at a screen? You're doing it right now. All right? I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. Maybe our life is too loud. I love music and podcasts and Hulu and all the stuff more than, more than the next guy. I get it. I get it. But maybe... We need to make space and turn down the volume of life so we can hear the Spirit speak a little more clearly and we can have a little more confidence in what he's up to. Number eight, and this one's hard, and I don't like this one. Suffer well. In the power of the Spirit, this is exactly what Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done, Father. This is exactly what Jesus is earliest followers did in Acts. They left, guys, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. There's no pain or shame, no agony or ache, no sorrow or sadness that will finally endure. And only with the Spirit can we, in humility and hope, suffer well. Romans 8. If the same Spirit 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will also give life to your mortal body one day. And one day, by the Spirit, we're gonna have resurrected bodies just like Jesus, and the pain of today will be a forgotten memory like, bar- like a buried grain of sand on the bottom of the ocean floor. So here we go, Holy Spirit, please, please, please help us be like Jesus and suffer well because the world's watching. <coughs> Number nine, I actually really like this one. <coughs> Sing truth, <coughs> Sing truth. After Jesus is done teaching about the Spirit right here, 30 minutes from now in upper room time, guess what they did, thanks for asking, they sang a hymn. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. What is the qualifier? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When we're all perfectly in tune with the Spirit in the new heavens, in the new earth, with our resurrected bodies, guess what Revelation says? We're gonna be singing, get used to it. And if he's the Spirit of truth, we need to be singing truth. And because of modern technology, you can do this 11 trillion ways right now. So you don't have an option of I don't like that way. Find one, do it, sing truth. Now, before I get to my last one, What I want you to see is that this is not random bullet points. What I want you to see is the way we have confidence in the Spirit is Jesus, and the way we experience that is a million different little ways in which the Spirit is moving and going and flowing and doing things in our heart. And the ultimate way that this happens is number 10. Trust Jesus as your advocate. Jesus says in chapter 14, John 14, 16, the Father will give you another Parakletos. That means there's already a parakletos. And that's Jesus. John again, 1 John 2. If anyone sins, that means we're all sinners. If anyone sins, we have a parakletos with a father, an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the only one who can come to our rescue in the divine courtroom of eternity. He is our only eternal source of help and hope and comfort and peace before the Father. And we can experience all of those things and more through the Spirit as the paraclete. The early church father, guys, this is so fun, I love this. The early church father, Irenaeus, said that the Son and the Spirit are the two loving hands of the Father in the world, ready to embrace all who come to him in faith. And we can see that in John's term, parakletos. And confidence in the Spirit is strengthened when we have confidence in Christ. We must trust Jesus as our advocate, as our holy go-between, our sin-forgiving mediator, believing God's promises of who Jesus is and what he has done. You gotta get this. Believing God's promises of who Jesus is and what he has done will give you clarity, conviction, and confidence about who the Spirit is, watch this, and what he's doing right now. When you trust Jesus with confidence and when you swear allegiance to him wholeheartedly in your life, you will have confidence in what the Spirit is doing. Right now, October 11, 2020, in your heart, in your lives, at work, in home, you can have confidence in the Spirit moving and speaking and leading you to Christ. It's possible. And right after, Jesus says that the Spirit will bear witness about himself. Look at the last line of John 15. Jesus says, and you also will bear witness. Meaning, moving from confusion to confidence in the spirit will cause us to continue the life and mission of Jesus in the world. Just as it is the spirit's job to testify who Jesus is to us, now we 
It's our turn. The baton is passed to us. We get to testify to the world the grace and truth and the justice and peace and the patience and love of Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I'll tell you right now, it is an impossible task. It's almost like we need help. Fellowship Greenville, the Father has not left us as orphans. He has given us another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with us forever. And he will teach us and he will bring to our remembrance the gospel of Jesus that is the only hope for our days and the only hope for the world. And he will glorify Jesus. And so, absolutely, may we bear fruit and reject fear and obey and pray and sing and a thousand other things so that we can tune into the Spirit so that we can see Jesus for who he is. I hope you wanna do that. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we confess our need for you. We admit that we need you. We, we trust you right now. And we... We need to see your power and love and joy and your grace flowing through our lives. We need to feel it and see it and realize that it's not us. We need to see that. We need that confidence, Holy Spirit, please, so that others might see Christ, so that we might see Christ. So Spirit, I ask, just, just, I just ask for God's people here at this church, Fellowship Greenville, that you would uniquely and happily and joyfully stir and move in our hearts and in our midst so that the gospel of Jesus might be seen as awesome. Please, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you. You're the best. Amen.